and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. I'm Andrew Slavin and we're coming to you after a Europa League night that's felt a bit more like a Champions League night. Celtic and Rangers both battling back from behind and they are dead level in the title race as well. Hibs and Hearts are hoping for happier times this weekend and are Aberdeen on their way back? Yes. Are St Johnston stuffed? Yes. <laughs> we'll be off to Angus later on to hear about the Gable Endies. Alongside me in the studio, a man who doesn't have a cool nickname. He was born JJ Bull of The Telegraph. That's right, that's what it says in his birth certificate. That's not true. And next to him, he goes by many names. But most importantly, he's a European football journalist and his passport says Kevin Canning. Hello, Kevin. Why are we giving away all our details to the people? And his sort code is 836214. <laughs> Big news, managerial appointment this week. Mark Kerr is the new man in charge at Air United. We don't care about that. We don't care about that? Yes. Mark well, we Kerr do, about we that? We do care about Mark cares about that? Is, will Mark Kerr be as good a championship manager as he was in championship manager? I have to admit, I didn't know this one, but you guys did. Are AJ? you kidding? You didn't know? That, yeah, no, I didn't know. show how poor a championship manager player you oh clearly were. Mark, Mark Kerr was the Scottish Zidane. He was incredible. I he remember was, John Fleck being really, really well, good. He was he was weighted as a youngster anyway. Mark Kerr, though, was one of these players <laughs> who... Football managers, it was then championship manager for the changeover. Their scouting database is amazing. It's huge. Actual clubs genuinely use it like mm -hmm. top level clubs use it and back in the day Mark Kerr was one of the examples of a player that they got just slightly wrong and he's one of these exceptions that proves the rule of how good they've been because he didn't go on to achieve quite those same heights that nah. he won for me certainly Mark Kerr in Championship Manager was bought from Falkirk yeah and uh, the great Scottish football story of the day for me has been uh, Falkirk bantering off Manchester United's are you, are you aware of this? No. Nope. So Manchester United have, um, in their wisdom, decided to launch a Seat of Dreams concept, which is basically just a fancy sofa at Old Trafford. Falkirk have therefore uh, come back with been there, done that, with all the novel ideas that they brought up with to, for uh, fans to enjoy the game. My favourite of which is a game in the crane where fans can be... <laughs> Can be hung over the uh, Falkirk Stadium in a crane, probably being uh, blown from pillar to post. God. That doesn't take your uh, fancy. You can have Saturday night at the movies in a uh, sort of looks like a, a Gatsby kind of car at the side of the pitch. You watch it. Or, the this, pitch is, in a car. this is actually really impressive. <laughs> or I don't this. Hot tub for three at Falkirk FC. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Two down in that corner are thinking about leaving, but just waiting for this moment because it's Christopher Julian! Perhaps to win it for Celtic and the Glaswegian Coliseum erupts! It was the first time Celtic and Lazio have met in competitive action and it's fair to say it delivered. Hashtag hoops upside your head, as Christopher Julian would say. He headed in an 89th minute winner as Celtic came from 1-0 down at half-time to complete the Italian job and win 2-1. The Italian job. Mm -hmm. Had to be in there. <laughs> mm -hmm. <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Correa hit the post for Lazio at 1-0. Chris Sutton said it could prove crucial. Well, he was right. Ryan Christie with the equaliser not long after that. Was the goalkeeper unsighted? A word, a phrase that Charlie, producer, producer <laughs> pointed out that no one ever says outside of football. Unsighted. But is it, isn't it, it? you are sighted? Sighted means you can see it, right? 
Yes, because it's in sight. It's yes, so if you're unsighted, it means you cannot see it. Yes. Yes. So the ball yeah. was beyond them before he could. That is how. That makes it. sense. I've yeah. heard people, football people, say it the other way around before. So. Because football people aren't Just very bright, JJ. <laughs> anyway. Much like ourselves. Uh, Ryan Kirsty, he is becoming a huge player for Celtic. Uh, he also set up the winner with the corner in for uh, Julian's header. But yeah, all round, they just like the sort of energy brought mm. to the game again, came closest to Celtic in the first half as well, the great strike that hit the post. Made a great win for Celtic, puts them in a fantastic position to qualify for the last 32. Still not quite sure how they won that game, but... Uh, so I thought they were quite evenly matched. I didn't think it was that... Yeah, but I, I felt once it went 1-1, Lazio were looking like the side more likely to win it. I mean, Forster had a, a great save from Parolo, sort of point blank, mm-hmm. and then Immobile had a shot across goal, and at that point, you kind of felt Celtic were maybe settling for the 1-1. I thought there was waves, though. I think it moved in waves. Like There was a, a time when Lazio had more of the ball and, and Celtic grew into it. I totally agree with about Ryan Christie. I mean, I said this earlier in the, in the season and I said it tonight to you boys, but I think Ryan Christie's nailed on for like player of the year in Scotland. Mm, yeah, he's I think, good. I mean, he's doing well. He's such a good player. Europa League quality. Otten Edouard, again, is really good. Edouard will be off in January. I would have thought for some money to somewhere. You reckon? You reckon I'm, Celtic I'm, would I, sell in January sure. if, if the title race is as tight yeah, as it is? I'm now? not sure in January. I definitely think next summer. But January, it very much depends on who's interested in them because it's not a time when big transfers get done. Regardless of that, you know, Celtic have now taken seven points from possible nine. They're now top of Group E. But if, if we're going to pick out another major moment uh, in this game, if Celtic weren't absolutely bossing it, they still had to rely on a big performance from Fraser Forster, possibly culpable for, for the first goal in the game. But what a save right at the death. A shot from Cataldi. And what a hit it was. I, I'm surprised he even saw it. The hit was my uh, more impressive part because I love when those balls drop right in the back of the, the, the penalty area and you know you've got to hit it right through the laces and he connects and you think for all the world it's going to fly into the top corner. See, I, I think a goalkeeper is better when they do things like control the area and collect crosses. Sounds boring, but I think that's the things you need for a goalkeeper because most of them will be able to pull off those athletic saves. That's kind of what they do in training. They're always diving over the place. But the strength and like behind the wrist as well to turn that away, yeah, it's a really good save. Because we were talking in the first half with the Lazio goal, how Foster, ever since he came back from his injury at Southampton and early on in his time at Celtic, he maybe looks a bit wooden at times. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. he's still a huge figure, so he can sort of spread himself like for the Parolo chance. But whether he's got the agility to kind of make the saves he did during his first spell at Celtic, but then that one right at the death was incredible because. Not only did he have the wingspan, which you know he's got, but just the the speed to get across there, and then they say the power to like to parry the ball. It was a wingspan, and so we can just like it, it, it well, was, time to go home. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good night for Scottish football in Europe because we'll talk about Rangers in a in a little while, um, but maybe not maybe not a good moment for Scottish refereeing because if you look at the penalty that Willie Collum gave to Borussia Mönchengladbach away to Roma. JJ, you spotted this first out of all of us. It's shocking. He gives a penalty away. It's Chris Smalling, isn't it? Who's on loan to Roma. Uh, is it I, Chris Smalling? Because I still don't know quite what the foul Willie Collin thinks he sees is. wild, right? And do they not have VAR in Europa League? No. no oh, my God. Not. Well, that's why. I think he's given it for a handball, but it's clearly not. Has Willie Collin ever refereed a match with VAR? Yes, because yes, he does Champions League. 
anyway, can we talk hey. about, let's talk about another game. Uh, Celtic take on Aberdeen. It's a tough schedule for Celtic. We saw one of the games of the season at Pataudry on Boxing Day last year. Celtic winning 4-3. More of that. <laughs> more of more more goals. Not more of Celtic winning. It's, I'd imagine goals. that so Celtic post-European games aren't all action, as far as I recall. Mm. Aberdeen will sit back and try and counter them in the same way they did against Motherwell. But the only reason they're allowed to do that against Motherwell is because Motherwell opened up and gave them the chance to do it in the first place. Players are starting to come back now. Aberdeen fans, there's so many of them on Twitter who are like, "Oh, McInnes doesn't know what he's doing. He stumbled upon this. Like, So McInnes in the last game against Motherwell, 3-0 win, which is really impressive, by the way, against Motherwell. But there was big question marks on the team selection, right? Yeah, everyone's like, oh, what's this formation? What a moron. So he played Zach Viner right back, uh, well, centre-back or midfielder, in midfield, yeah. and Greg Lee, uh, left-back, who's been very good this season, he played there, because that's the only players he had available. <laughs> and the the way it worked was perfect. And people say, well, he's got a, a, a Derek McInnes masterclass. It's not. It's just basic set-up-your-team Four two three one. Sit back, wait for Motherwell to open up and bring the game to you, and hit him on the counter. He did this so many times in his first couple of years at Aberdeen, and teams were wise to it. Stephen Robinson is maybe trying to make his team play a bit nicer, and that's how they fell for it. But Celtic is a different game altogether. The only thing I can think is good for Aberdeen going into this is that because Aberdeen have been so poor this season, I say poor, they're sitting like fourth, right close to third. Because of that, Celtic's mentality at the back of a great win against Lazio might be that ah, it's only Aberdeen, we'll be fine this time. As opposed to previous seasons when they've been like, these are sort of not quite rivals. I don't think it will be. I think Aberdeen certainly That's have, my one hope, have a chance. I mean, particularly because Christie's still suspended. So mm-hmm. uh, he'll be a big miss again in the uh, in the midfield. My doubt about them you know, taking Aberdeen lightly is you would think Celtic might have learned their lesson from the... The Livingston game, where that was also just after a big European game, at that's home, true. And then they went and you know got beaten for the first time in domestically also, this season. It's also like patter about Rangers being a genuine uh, contender this season, and I think that will drive all the way through the season. Question: You were saying Otto and Edward will be away in January. Sam Cosgrove, fifteen I'm just trying goals, to provoke fifteen goals, fifteen goals, and fifteen starts this season. Yeah, could Sam Cosgrove be on his way? He's away in January. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All strikers in Morelos is away in well, January. Yeah, <laughs> and tonight we've, we've spoken a lot about Lazio. Lazio were linked with uh, Sa- right, with Sammy yeah. Cosgrove Ballandor earlier in the season. So that's right. And I spoke to Sammy Cosgrove about that, and I asked him uh, about the Lazio uh, thing. How's your Italian? What did he say? Um, he he laughed at all. He did say that, yeah. And his mother words, I don't understand what he was saying. He was talking fluent Italian to me, and I didn't Bellissimo. know. No, I did. I did say to Sam about um, I did an interview with him in a piece in the Telegraph the other week, and I asked him the Lazio rumors and what he thought about that, and he said uh, that he thought it was just made up kind of nonsense. And then I mentioned to him, well, it'll be because you came up on Y Scout because when you're scouting people in Europa League qualifiers or lower leagues to try and get a bargain you go right to the top because your goal record is phenomenal. And it is. And McInnes was saying to me on the phone, I'm not trying to name drop, I was genuinely talking to these people, uh, but McInnes was saying how he thinks Cosgrove is perfectly suited to the English game and would be a championship player in any second. That finish from Cosgrove. No, true. I guess Motherwell was Beautiful, absolute yeah. class and that is all about confidence. That's the type of finish that I didn't think he had in him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we know, you know, he can be good in the air. He's scored a lot of penalties in the past few years has been quite good in the penalty box but no, you know what I mean like I can't I, I can't, I'm, you saw as well I can, yeah game. I can't imagine him I know that we've talked 
about how much he's improved in the past like few years. But having yeah, I know it's the confidence you were talking about, but it's also just the technique to be able to to, to take that on and and carry it off. Yeah, it was just like perfectly dinked finish because it wasn't even as if one of those, but the goalkeeper goes down very easily. The goalkeeper does stand up and he has to like go all the way over him. It it seemed like he was waiting to slot it low. Normally you go low yeah, there, yeah. right, and drill it across the keeper. But the keeper wasn't going down. So then he had to wait to pick his finish. This, this is when you know when players are starting to think ahead of making their decision. And that's when we talk about players being better than what, what maybe their attributes well, suggest. Well, this is it. Like, So his XG this season is uh, 0.69, right? So 0.7, we'll say. So per game. So... He should be scoring seventy <laughs> percent uh, of a goal every game. I know that's not how this how the stat works for everyone goes and kills me on Twitter, but in a team that has struggled this season and has created very very few chances, I mean it's mostly been set pieces for Aberdeen this year. They've been really not the best. That's really impressive. If you're playing in a team that could create chances constantly and you can play off the shoulder of the last man, he can uh, play as a target man. He can drop deep to link play. He's basically the complete forward and could do a job at a different club. I don't think he'll be away in January. I don't think him or <laughs> Edward really will be. Barisic plays it in for Alfredo Morales. Is this the moment? It certainly is. The goal machine strikes again. His 10th European goal of the season is 1-1. Another impressive result in Europe for Steven Gerrard to add to his managerial CV. Rangers came from behind to draw 1-1 with Porto in Portugal. First though, question time for you two. The last time Rangers faced Porto was in 2005. That game ended 1-1 at the Estadio do Dragao as well. <laughs> but there's only one player who played that night who currently still plays in the Scottish Premiership. Can I have your guesses please? Because they will be guesses. Uh, Kieran Canning. My guess was of a a, a, a poorer player than Kieran Canning. Uh, Kirk Broadfoot. JJ Bull. <laughs> You're thinking Kirk Broadfoot? Yes. Right. Take this seriously, JJ. I, took I a lot don't of time. know. I can tell you. Chris Buck, who currently plays for Kilmarnock. That's good. Yeah. Do you know who else played that night? Francis Jeffers. Remember him? He's a storied Rangers career. <laughs> I don't think he scored one goal. I think he scored one goal for Motherwell he must have. when he played for Motherwell. Jeffers is one of the first players I ever remember being a full of potential who never fulfilled it. Him and Danny Cardamartry was never one. He's one of, those, one of those England players who played for England and has a 100% goal-scoring record. One game, one goal. Yeah. Uh, good for him. Yeah, good for him. It's better than us. Anyway, we saw Rangers play out from the back and produce a stunning equaliser. Alfredo Morella scoring his 10th goal of this long European campaign. What a pass from Barisic. It was a great goal. I think we saw the sort of two sides to playing out from the back because yeah. we, I mean, we can't deny that literally five minutes before it when uh, Porto scored and Ryan Jack gave the ball away sort of needlessly on the edge of his own area. They're like, that was a really stupid pass to give away. Like, it, it, I mean, it was an incredible strike to open the scoring, but Rangers were sort of coughing up possession on the edge of their own box, inviting pressure, and then they go up the other end with like a flowing move from back to front. Ball goes out to Barisic, great cross in. Morelos is there. And the same combination in the second half with a similar move, cross to the back post, Morelos header, keeper made a, a really good save. But yeah, overall, I was really impressed with, with Rangers. It was quite, I think they played slightly better, but it was quite similar to the game they played away against Young Boys, mm-hmm. except they didn't give away the goal right at the death like they did that night. And the group's still really well balanced because Young Boys beat Feyenoord tonight, so they've got six points. Beat Rangers 2-0, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, Rangers and Porto with four. 
and Feyenoord on three. So, yeah, all, it's not all to play for. My only feeling is that as, as good a result as it was, I felt as if the game was there for Rangers to go and win and they had the chances to do so as well. And if they don't get through, I think they'll really regret not really taking that chance when it was there. I agree with that, but I think you only know that later on. Like It's too late in the game to no, go and do yeah, it. Right? I, think, I think before the game tonight, they would have taken a 1-1. But just given the way the game panned out and the you know, Porto were no great shakes. But I have to say that I mean, we might not be giving enough credit to, to Rangers there as well because yeah, exactly. Porto have won six straight games in the league. I mean, they're normally a Champions League team, you know, not not a mm. Europa League team. So Rangers made them look ordinary for, for much of the night. And you had to take in their chances or you know, committed that little bit extra going forward, then you never know. I think, I think, regret it or not, later on, you can't take away from Rangers' performance. It was absolutely excellent well, there, tonight. There, I think it's a fine performance for Rangers, who I, I think it puts you at a level you realise how good they actually are. They've got a decent team there. I think it's the best they'll ever play. But I think we kind of touched on it. Porto weren't very good at all. I was really surprised. And that's why I think Rangers will regret it, because for all the scouting you do, you don't know how a team's going to play and match up to your own team. So. Now they've seen that, I think Rangers can take the home leg and know that they can absolutely pump them. Group G's. Well, like a 1-0, 2-0. <laughs> no, I mean, that's still a good pumping in yeah. Europe. Yeah, pump away. <laughs> Group, G, uh, well, Group G is separated by three points. Like, if you think that's tight, what about the title race in Scotland? It looks like it's shaping up to be a good one. It's real tight, Andrew. Yeah. Celtic are above Rangers on goals scored. Level on points, level on goal difference. Yep, it's back. I've really missed this conversation. I really missed. <laughs> I'm still at the top of the league. Who's going to win? Wow. Yeah. Can't wait. It's still a uh, more entertaining conversation than the one we've had for the past few years, which is just... How many points will something win? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I suppose there was a bit of competition for, for second place in recent years. Yeah, it was not a good result for Rangers last weekend um, away to Hearts. Even Gerard said after the game how they didn't play nearly as well as he expected. He, he was very critical of the way they started the game, that he felt the mentality wasn't right, that maybe given Hearts' problems, they sort of turned up and expected to win and really sort of taken aback by, by Hearts' start. Another thing that's becoming a bit of a trend now as well was the give away the goal due to a Tavernier mistake. I mean, he was at fault for the two goals against Young Boys it's a few a weeks ago. Attempt at yeah. header. I mean, I think he's never been the best defensively, um, but his attacking attributes kind of more than made up for that. Whereas so far this season, yeah, he's been really like even you know much worse than he has been in previous years I th- defensively. I think I think a point that you sh- you should mention as well is the fact that once again Rangers have came back from behind. This is a, this is a trait that Rangers are getting. They might be going a goal down like they did at Hearts and they did um, against Porto on Thursday night, but they got back into the game and were dangerous. And Rangers now face Motherwell on Sunday. Could have been so different from Motherwell last weekend had James Scott's early penalty gone in at 0-0. Nothing wrong with how he took it, but it was just a well, great save from Joe Lewis. No, that's not right. The he... way Joe Lewis catches that ball, it looks Aye, class. But he puts it exactly the height that Joe Lewis can get to it. Put it low or high in the corner. You can't put it that height. Ah, it's a great save. No, no, I'm not trying to be like a, a, a jerk about it, but it's a... It's Especially a, with the pace that he It's a great reaction well. save by Joe Lewis. But Lewis has guessed the right way and it's there for him to save. Therefore, I think it's not a great penalty. So I'm going to so call you're, you're on you're of, that. You're of the You're of the decision-making of if the goalkeeper saves it, it's not a good penalty. Uh, not, rather, no. than, rather than if it, if it no, goes in, it's always. good Because pe- you can have a terrible penalty that still goes in. Yeah, that's yeah. one of my, one of my like, things I hate most. You see uh, commentators and it's like, oh, great penalty when the guy's basically just rolled it down the middle or, or very slightly to one side, whereas the keeper had guessed the right way. Exactly. If Lewis had gone the other way, they'd be like, oh, what a great penalty. But it wasn't. It's just like Lewis has, has 
read it. Maybe that's a good goalkeeping part. He's read where it's I, going. I do think he did react. hit it hard, at least. There was plenty of power behind it. More, more to it's the a good point. save. Got to say it's yeah, a good save. More, yeah. more to the point, a blip in Motherwell's otherwise pretty good season so far. And they're actually unbeaten away from home this season. So can the Steelman avoid defeat? Well, this is, so the reason they lost to Aberdeen is because they tried to play their possession game, which they've been doing well all season. And it's exactly what McInnes would have dreamed of because Aberdeen are better on the counter. They've got players built to play against that. Motherwell made mistakes in possession because they're trying to play progressive football by making the pitch big. And when you make mistakes like that, you're open. And that's how they conceded. Against Rangers, they'll... can't do it. Yeah. So they'll have to change probably to be like everyone does. They'll they'll have a, a low line of engagement, like, like, ha- like halfway, probably inside their own half. Obviously going to be a deep block when they're a low block when they're defending. The problem is you want to make sure that Barisic can't put the ball in the in the, in the box. You want to make sure Tavernier can't do that. So you need to work on your shape so that you can close those boys down. I think Motherwell will be okay, but Rangers, like you see how good they were against Porto, yeah. they're a much better side. Mm-hmm. They should win this. I think Motherwell's best chance is just Rangers having a European hangover. Yeah. Obviously we've talked about this before, but how Rangers squad this season allows for greater rotation. So you'd imagine be a few changes. And on that away record for Motherwell, when you look at the away games they've had, they've been against uh, Hamilton, Livingston, St. Johnston and Hearts. Mm-hmm. So like teams at the bottom end of the table, they haven't really had a big test yeah. away from home yet. So you think that they definitely, definitely struggle. I think, as I say, Rangers probably make a few changes. We'll see Defoe probably coming back in, who's a very good record in these kind of games. And yeah, I think Rangers should have too much for them. I'd like to see what Robinson does though, because I mean, you saw how his heart started, go high at them and really take the game and then Shut, shut it down but the flip side of it is if you try that especially away from home and you <laughs> and the turnover possession and they score that's your whole game plan done people talk about like plan B all the time whatever. he doesn't have a plan B then it would be to try and just keep the score down I think they'd be happy with a 0-0 mm-hmm. that's what I think Robertson would be pleased with you can't go into a game saying let's get a 0-0 because then you put the wrong mentality into your side Tidecastle's always a difficult place to go but when they're at Ibrox they're absolutely on it and I fear for Motherwell I think it might be a heavy one Scottish teams have a long and proud history of success in Europe. Celtic, champions in 67. Aberdeen, UEFA Cup winners in 83, beating Real Madrid in the final. And it'll continue this season with... Uh, oh, no, wait, Celtic are out after losing at home to, uh, Kluge. But thankfully, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet on football every week. See on site for the latest. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Let's look at the two Edinburgh clubs who are both struggling, both drawing 1-1 last weekend, but there's no doubt who had the better performance. Hearts held Rangers at Tynecastle. They came flying out the blocks against Rangers and Craig Levine said it was a day to take risks. You happy with the risks? They certainly started extremely well. Um, I wouldn't say that's not the thing that Craig Levine would normally say. He's not seen as being much of a risk taker, but mm. I mean, it certainly was a very good start by Hearts and a good performance overall based on how they've played over the, the past few weeks. The frustrating thing would be how they can start the game like this, particularly of Vic Piezo, who is a huge threat early on, seems to get up for the big games, but doesn't necessarily do it week in, week out. The big task for them now going forward is turning that performance and that point into results against the teams that they are expected to beat rather than just yeah. getting up for one game against Rangers. Hearts need to be able to do this more 
need to play like this more often, but they probably will be able to because for this game, this is one of the first times they've had a team that resembles probably a first team that Craig Levine might actually want. Like you've got Pereira and goal, Hickey playing with White and Berra and Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wheeling and Bosnitz in the midfield, maybe that won't be what it is going forward, but having Ike Piazzo there able to play so you can play Machino off him when he comes to the centre or, or wide means they've got, they've just got a better team. So what a surprise that they do much better than they would have expected. Like two weeks ago, they would have got pumped probably. Sure, but they, they still had to make changes. You know, Michael Smith is a, is a right back, isn't he? Had yeah. to play centre half and did a really good job. Aaron Hickey was maybe culpable for Rangers equaliser, but had a fairly decent game as well. Um, they still had to make sacrifices and it was all about individual performances and they certainly coped with Rangers for most of the game, I would, I would say. They certainly still miss Naismith when you talk about like they're nearing the, their preferred first 11 I think he would add so much more to them but Machino does add that sort of creativity and goal threat that they have badly missed throughout the course of the season so far and the big thing for Hearts as I mentioned before their next three games they play St Johnson away uh, Livingston away sorry at the weekend then St Johnson midweek and then after the cup semi-final St Mirren at home so if they in you know a few weeks time we'll look at them taking seven or ten points from the last four games then the the context of the season looks very different we're getting into the realms now of where Hearts kind of capitulated last season going to Livingston a 5-0 defeat at the Tony Macaroni just before Christmas but Livingston aren't known for the goal threat Livingston are very physical they're going to play long and that's largely what Levine's been doing with Hearts this season I don't know if they can play in the same way as they did against Rangers and Livy worked really hard off the ball too. Yeah, and Livingston obviously having to come back from a defeat to Kilmarnock. They beat Celtic, you know, quite convincingly, really. What do we expect from them? Is it going to be all through Lyndon Dykes or what What? What can we expect from Livingston? I think we know what to expect from, from Livingston. They don't really change the way they play, no matter if they're playing Celtic or playing Kilmarnock last weekend. But they are exceptionally strong at home. And the result against Hearts last season really sort of shot off the page because they don't normally score five goals, but they've been you know, exceptionally strong at home um, again this season. And I think, as JJ is saying, it'll be it'll be pretty physical because that's that's the way Livingston play, but it's also the way Hearts like to play under under Levine and it might be a bit of a, a tug of war. I'd say that Hearts are far more like they sit back and then launch it, whereas Livy uh, push quite high very quickly at the pitch yeah and they they seem really fit Holt's got them must have had them working a lot in pre-season on having the fitness they're doing a lot of sessions that would be about pressing with their fitness because they seem to be able to do it longer than a lot of other teams whether then Hearts can just sit back and take that in for 80 minutes and then take a a goal off them and I know it may only be Livingston but that's the kind of strategy you might need in a game like that. Well, Hibs drew 1-1 at Hamilton last weekend. They surrendered their lead. Still no win and no clean sheet in the Premiership since the opening day of the season. Gavin Wilson from the Hibs Talk podcast joins us now. There's a feeling that Hearts have the players, Gavin, and they're just waiting for them to get back from injury. Do Hibs have the players? Out injured? No, I wouldn't really say so. I mean, looking at the injured list, we've got Boyle, McGregor, Gray, Livka. Boyle probably gets back in the team, which would be a big help. But I think Tom James is probably ahead of David Gray now, and Portress and Hanlon's our strongest centre back partnership. So I don't think we're lucky enough to, to think, oh, once a couple of players are back, things will turn around. Talking to the players that have come in this summer, I mean, probably the biggest one in terms of transfer fee was Christian Dodge. Hasn't really worked out for him. Um, do you think patience is already wearing thin amongst the support? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I was at the Hamilton game and there's some fans who, you know, when a player's going through 
a tough time. You hear them really want to see a player do well. But I mean, and I think if he'd went into that Aberdeen game with a couple of goals, he probably would have came out with another two or three. But I think I think we're also do we're not playing to his strengths. We're doing him a bit of disservice. I mean, just because he's six foot one, he seems to be used as a target man, and he's constantly coming deep. But if you look at the footage of him at Forest Green, he was a fox in the box, and it's that sort of thing of all. Oh, well, they're six foot one, so they can't be that. So a lump long balls towards them, and. The thing is, he's winning the balls, but he's not heading them down to anybody. And then when we put the ball in the box, he's struggling to get into the box. So I, I think I think we're doing him a bit of disservice as well. What do you make of uh, what do you make of Paul Heckenbottom this season compared to the football you had last season and what's happened now? Is it the style of play that's changed? Do you think the recruitment's been poor? How do you feel about him staying on as boss at the moment? It's a strange one because I mean I've been lucky enough with the press conferences to meet Paul a few times. So from a personal point of view, I want him to do well, but at the same time. You look at the the last five games of the season. We only managed two goals. It was an own goal and uh, a goal for McNulty, and so there was worrying signs then. And you know he won his first five uh, five of his first six games, and then since then he's only won another two matches in sixteen. That's really relegation form. So unless that turns around, then it is a bit of worrying if we can't have a manager win win percentages like that. Do you, do you like like? hearing from Paul Heckingbottom after a match and kind of questioning the team almost kind of blaming his players a little bit do you, do you kind of agree with them and, and kind of side with them on, on the points that he makes despite even the likes of you know maybe the fact that you've been leading in the last four games and a turn in fortunes could be around the corner I did really like the way he spoke initially but it started to wear a bit thin yeah. <laughs> uh, um, the, the game at Ibrox was the turning point I think because I remember when Gerard came out after the Celtic game and he took ownership of the situation and says, I've got to take my part in that. I'm partly to blame with that. Yeah. I've never heard Heckenbottom do that. So that's one thing. But I mean, you know, I know we've been leading in the last four games, but you look at those four goals, it's Malin two from distance, an own goal and a deflection that fell to Portress and he tapped it in. We're not really creating great chances that makes you think that we're going to go and score a second and really turn things around. We're not creating the chances that makes you think that things are going to change Did anyone see the Ross County photo of uh, Stuart Kettlewell doing the rounds you mean the, David, David De Gea yeah yeah it looks like an older David De Gea like they could be related maybe it's the craft beer joke I've seen going around he looks like a craft beer entrepreneur who's about to lay 50 <laughs> staff off I think it was a tweet wasn't it yeah. <laughs> yeah Ross County get absolutely done on the weekend it's uh, yeah, one of those rare occasions where they were lucky and grateful to lose 6-0. I'm not sure there was that much they could have done better, to be honest. That's the problem. It's, it's never easy going to Celtic Park. You can't go to Celtic Park and play the way Celtic want you to play. I think Celtic are so good, though, that when they turn it yeah, on... They were just on it. The ball bounces their way. There's nothing much you can do I mean, about it. Because it. it wasn't even as if, like, County were really open and let them, you know, gave them loads of space to play. And they actually had... Uh, so it was like sports scene had quite a few clips of this where they had loads of men behind the ball. I mean, they maybe weren't good enough in closing, like uh, they'd loads of men behind the ball, but not really doing enough to affect the guy on the ball. Well, that's bit. it. But at the same time, there wasn't a huge amount wrong with their 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 setup. There was a few individual errors for goals, like particularly the second one. Yeah. I think almost all of them are individual. It's just like one little thing you don't read. Is the thing they like Ross County against Hibs. I think they'll fancy they can take points off of Hibs, uh, especially the way they're playing. It's the kind of thing on on paper. You think the Hibs be a better team, but I don't think they are at the moment, Hib- even after getting pumped. Hibs over the last eight games are the worst team on the form table. 
right at the in bottom. The, world. Yep. the thing in Tibbs as well, like minus 10 goal difference after dying game. And I know a lot of that was that Ibrox game where they got beat 6 1. Yep. But um, yeah, for like Hibs to be second bottom in the league and only off the bottom because Johnson haven't won a game this season, mm-hmm. it's pretty dire. It's funny how, like, because we thought Heckenbottom was doing a really nice job with all, you know, the way it, the way it plays. And when you start looking at it, actually, exactly what Gavin's saying. The chance creation is mostly Malin pinging it from 30 yards. That's chance creation. The thing that I think really speaks worse of uh, Hickenbottom is that his best results came with Lennon's team. And he <laughs> said at the time, you know, like, don't judge me and this team judge me on, on my own team. I think all managers deserve time, but the more I see of what Hickenbottom's doing with his, his team but- and what he's doing in recruitment, I don't know... If- Sure, but there's there's other managers we're going to talk about. So Johnston, for instance, later on. But these managers have got good pedigree. Maybe it's not working right now, but there's it's still nine games in the season. Semi decent pedigree. Like I think he did well at Barnsley, and that's he did yeah. did do well at all at Leeds. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing, the difference with St. Johnston is that Tommy Wright has been there for many years and earned enough credit that he deserves the time now Absolutely. to try and turn it around. And there's not much he can really do with exactly. St. Johnston. Right? Whereas with Heckingbottom, he doesn't have that credit in the bank and a lot of the decision makers like Leanne Dempster and stuff are still there but there's also been a change of ownership since Higginbottom was appointed yes. so you don't know how much of a difference that's going to make as well in terms of it wasn't, he wasn't their man I think like I said I think we said this last week I'd imagine there could be a wee change in the international break that could be the chopping time and Mr Jack Ross still available coming to a Hibs near you Ross Jack Ross don't know why he's available why that he's, <laughs> he's available <laughs> Time now for the latest odds with our man Lee Price at Paddy Power. We've just been discussing Hibs, Lee. They're at home to Ross County. Will this finally be their first win since the opening day of the season? Well, we certainly think so. It's odds on 8-11 to that they get the three points. Although they have become draw specialists of sorts recently and another tie here is rated at 11-4. to Going into this match, Ross County become my favourite team in the league because of their wonderfully symmetrical record of 1-3, drawn free and lost three. So obviously, appropriately, their chances of winning are rated as 10 to 3, which is the equivalent of 3.33 to 1. That's fun. What has the defeat at St Mirren done to the odds of St Johnston being relegated from the Premiership? They're clearly in trouble, aren't they? But we've not written them off just yet, even if their own fans might have done. St Johnston are still better than evens, 11 to 10 to be precise, to finish in the bottom two of the division. Although that does start to look like value and they're 16-5 finish rock bottom. But we are optimistic, and that might be down to this weekend's game. We go odds-on 8-11 that St Johnson beat Hamilton at home. And finally in the Championship, Mark Kerr's first game in charge of air is at home to Dundee tonight. How do you see this one going? Yeah, it's a tough start for Mark Kerr, but our odds suggest it should actually be quite a straightforward procedure. A bit like Dundee goalkeeper Jack Hamilton's appendix removal, hopefully. The Honest Men are 11-10 favourites to win this one, despite suffering back-to-back defeats. They've yet to draw in the league this season, which explains why the tie here is the longest price in the betting at 23-10, while Dundee, who might just be the most unpredictable team in the country, are 2-1 to get the win. A big week in Glasgow, not just for men's football, but for women's football as well. Glasgow City secured their 13th successive title at Motherwell on Wednesday night, and we're joined now by Glasgow manager Scott Booth. Scott, congratulations. Uh, Before we talk about the positives, some people may have seen pictures from the game on Wednesday and the fact that the venue itself in Motherwell was a public park rather than a stadium. 
it shows that systematically there's perhaps still some ground to be made up in Scottish football, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that did highlight it last night. Um, if I'm being totally honest, um, you know, I think most of the venues that we play on are 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 decent, and um, some are are really good. But that that one last night, I think you're you're bang on. I think it just highlighted that we've still got a lot of work to do for women's football in Scotland. If um, the powers that be allow a, a game that is potentially a game to to win the the top league in Scotland um, to be allowed to be played um, in such an environment. What would you like to see happen? Well, I just don't think that uh, I don't think that it should just be up to the the home side to f- basically find a venue. Um, you know, there are there are sets of criteria in place for for venues, um, but there's also couple of exceptions throughout the season that you're allowed to, to um, play on a, a, a venue um, that you've maybe booked uh, at a later stage because of a cancellation of a game or whatever it happens to be. But I think that then seems to, if that is the case, it just seems to be completely out of anyone's hands bar the, the team that are booking the, the venue itself. And there is no criteria at that point, um, you know, Last night, there's, there's no perimeter fencing, um, no sort of locked-off area around the pitch, which is obviously dangerous for players. So there's no dugouts. Um, the lighting was really poor, and the pitch itself was substandard. So, the you know, I think that has to stop for, for, for one thing. Um, but as I said, you know, I, I, I didn't really last night want to talk about that sort of negativity surrounding the the actual venue. I was I was just really impressed with the way that our players went out and played on it. Um, really impressed with them and their mindset and their um, quality to be able to play. You know, really good football combination, passing football, fluid movement, and uh, and some great goals. You've got a one hundred percent record in the league, thirteen titles in a row. On paper, it looks like total dominance. How do you manage to keep these players motivated and hungry? They do it themselves. They, um, some of them, even the younger ones, have won the title a number of times. And they just want to stay on top. They don't want to be beaten. They don't want to be knocked off the the top of Scottish women's football. And they understand that by achieving and by keeping their, their standards very, very high, it means that you know they, they can play at the top level, they can play in the Champions League, they can be selected for the national teams, depending on what age groups they're in. And uh, and that's what keeps them motivated. And, you know, they've obviously got a, a very good sort of families behind them as well that really help. Um, but, you know, we've said it a lot, that a lot of these players are, you know, are working during the day, um, they're training at night, um, they give up their holidays to play football, they get unpaid leave to play football, they miss work and social events to play football, so it's a massive, massive commitment from them and to do it year on year, it's really exceptional. You've been at the club for five years now, do you think the the rest of the teams in the division are getting closer to you? In, in different ways, each, each season is getting uh, tighter, that's for sure um, it may not look at this, this season, but I think that's 
more down to how well uh, Glasgow City and the players have have done. On the whole, I would say that the chasing pack are getting better, and they've now actually actively said that they are going to invest in their teams. Um, you know, three or four of them uh, have said that, and you know you have to believe them and take them at their at face value that that's what they're going to do, and it's going to become a a better league in the long term when all the clubs up their game and it just means it's better for Scottish women's football. Uh, the attention for many people is uh, on a massive game on Thursday which is at home to Bronby in the last 16 of the Champions League with a 2-0 win from the first leg and another chance to make history. Yeah, well, first things first, I always say this, we've got Hibs on Sunday which uh, which is, is, a, is a massive game for us because we don't want to, to lose any of the, the domestic matches in the fact that we've already managed to have such a great record of the season. So we want to keep that. Firstly, we don't want to lose the game and we want to win it. But we also don't want to, to go into the Bromby game off the back of a performance or um, you know, a, a defeat. We want, we want to go um, this week and, and make sure that the next two games we take uh, three points from the, the league game and then we can finish the job in the Champions League. Both matches are extremely tough and thinking ahead to, to Bromby a little bit, they are a really, really good side. We we you know achieved a remarkable uh, win out there in uh, Copenhagen and I think that the players are you know just desperate to go and, and finish the, the, the job and get to the quarterfinals, which would be, again... Just uh, based on the season that we're having, be fabulous. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven and JJ Bull. It's a bottom of the table clash in League One on Saturday as Montrose come up against Stranraer. And we're joined now by Graham Christison, chairman of the Montrose Supporters Club. Graham, first of all, tell any listeners who do not know this, why are you called the Gable Endies? It's all to do with the buildings on the high street of Montrose. Um, it's the side of the house, which is the gable end, and on the high street, they all kind of look onto the street themselves. And for whatever reason, the football club picked up on the nickname, and we are the Gable Endies. Love it. Up until about 18 months ago, you were in League Two. In fact, you'd been yeah. in the fourth tier for 23 years. Did you lose hope that you'd ever get out of that league? There was sometimes, yeah. Um, apart from really one season under Jim Weir where we got to the playoffs, it was pretty barren. If you go back to the years of Stephen Tweed as manager, where I think we had to wait until the start of February or the end of January it was for our first league win of the year. Um, and then obviously even more barren when we became the first Club 42 and we faced the worst kind of playoffs when we played Barora, then we could have ended up out of the league, unfortunately. But yeah, it's, 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 it's been a remarkable turnaround in all fairness. You know, like uh, SP's come in and there's a core group of players there that were there at the same time that were struggling down near the bottom. But he's got, brought the best out of these guys and then added some quality likes of Sean Dillon and stuff like that. And hey, we've got an upper league. We got to the playoffs last year. We've got a second championship ever. It was, it's been great fun. You had uh, some great moments at that League 2 level, though. Uh, for example, the 89th minute equaliser at Ibrox must have been quite fun, was it? 
oh, it was something else. Um, <laughs> see, you know, I can still see it in slow motion now. And the celebrations in our corner and on the bus on the way home was something else. It was like we'd won the Champions League, I would say. <laughs> nice one. You mentioned Stuart Petrie there. He's He's been in charge since 2016. He's brought you up to, uh, to League One. How much of a hero is he in the fans' eyes? Godlike, godlike. Wow. Um, <laughs> if we, we all had a wee joke with him after we won the league, like, like so there'll be a statue getting built of him up the high street in Montrose. <laughs> and that could still well happen. Um, the one thing with Stuart is he's extremely honest. You know, he'll speak to the fans, he'll give his honest opinions. Like, so the start of the season obviously wasn't great for us. We had to meet the manager, and he's like, Look, I've got to have a look at myself, make sure what I'm doing isn't wrong for you guys. He's quite an ambitious guy. Um, but the one thing I would say about him is he's extremely loyal by the looks of it. You know, like say, his name gets bandied around with some of the some of these jobs. Yeah, he still wants to be with us, which is always good. Last season, obviously, it was a great one for you reaching the playoffs in League One. But it's not been so great this year. What's what's been the problem? It's been part of the problem has been like uh, injuries. Um, not having a settled side. Um, we've lost a couple of players. Um, Jamie Redman went up to sign for Cove and with all their money up there. Um, and <laughs> another guy that we kind of lost in the mid- middle of the park, uh, Paddy Craig, has got uh, the offer a full-time job back over in Ireland as an assistant manager. And all of a sudden you've got two absolute heavyweights in the middle of the park that we struggled to replace. Um, but, you know, again, we've kind of settled down now. We've, we've brought in a couple of young guys on loan. And honestly, the last three games, it's been like a different team this year. <laughs> and, now, and now it's a big game on Saturday, isn't it? Massive. Yeah. Like I said, it's all, it's all fair enough. Like, so beating Peter Head, that's fine. But going out and beating Clyde, here, obviously, like, so I think we're, that was about a year that they've been unbeaten at home. And obviously, Airdrie on Saturday there. It's great winning these games, but you've got to kind of, like, say, beat the teams that are round about you just now. And even though it is only coming up to, well, the end of October time, these are the sort of ones that you've got to get the points on the board for. Well, Montrose is a soft spot for me, Graham, because I used to pick them on Champman every year. It used to be my first team that I would start with, get you up to the Premiership. But I have to say, as soon as I got to the Premiership, I'd take a job down in England. (laughs) (laughs) I can't blame you for that one. I don't know if you know this, guys, but St Johnston are in trouble. <laughs> uh, defeat at St Mirren Park last Saturday. No wins in nine Premiership games this season. Even Dundee had won by this stage last season. Even Dundee. Burns. Um, to be honest as well, St Johnston's only win this season came against League 2 Brecon in the Betfred Cup. They've only won five out of the last 29 league games in 2019 as well. The stats are staggering. Yeah, and uh, I think the the most worrying thing I would say for them at the moment is like Tommy Wright and his interviews after the games he just it went from being at the start of the season where he was a bit annoyed and felt that they could improve particularly defensively and now every week he comes out he just seems completely lost mm-hmm. in terms of you know he's he's tried different things he's changed the team particularly even on, on the weekend we, we previewed the game saying that neither team scored many goals mm-hmm. and actually St Johnson for the first 20-25 minutes yeah. like looked like by far the better team and the dominant team and then as soon as St Mirren scored they just completely collapsed I think that's really worrying because that's the sign of a team that mentally doesn't look like it's up for the fight you know they're not it's not, as if, as, well, yeah. it's not as if they're they're cut adrift only three points to Hearts and Hibs but I think that's maybe a, a problem for them because you'd expect Hearts and Hibs to eventually move up the league it's, but, it, but yeah but it's, it's just whether they're going to have that 
that fight to, to get themselves yeah. out of relegation. The other problem as well is that, as we've said most weeks, their players aren't actually that good. And they lost. It was really? Yeah. I, reckon, but, I, I quite like the, the midfield onwards. I think, they're attacks, fine. I, think, all right. I think if they've got confidence in the, and they're playing uh, with some momentum, I think they'd beat the likes of Ross County and St Mirren. Who did they lost in the summer? Uh, Easton and, um, and Richard Foster as well. When they when they had a little bit of a falling out, Tommy Tommy Wright and Richard Foster had a falling out, didn't they? So, but they lost lots of experience. Joe Shaughnessy as well, another one. Another, exactly. Shaughnessy's a, a, a huge and loss. And a defender as well. And th- this is something that I noticed. You know the the four centre halves that St Johnston have: Jason Kerr, twenty two years old; Wallace Duffy, twenty; Maddis Vimmen, who I'm probably saying incorrectly, uh, twenty four; Liam Gordon, who's out injured. Um, 23 there's a real lack of experience at the back there and when things are going bad you need your defence to be resolute and that's not happening either that's it and I think it really is it can't be said how important Joe Shaughnessy was in that team last season and it's like a, I mean if any of the teams in and around it like when Berra gets injured Hearts are a bit weaker well or Suter say McKenna at Aberdeen it makes a huge difference it's like St Johnson are missing one of the most important players because he's gone forever and you've got a 22 year old in Jason Kerr who I like as a, as a player if I'm honest he's the captain of the club though and that's a big responsibility for a young player and when the goals are flying he, he's in he's up to that though I mean, that the age yeah, is too important I don't know how, how much a captain how much captaincy really means anymore in the, in the modern game I don't think it really does an awful lot it's just everyone on that pitch should be taking responsibility for things and going with it. Like you said, he's trying to evolve the team a little bit, you know, bringing some younger players. He's got to bring the average age down because it was old last season, mm-hmm. but that experience kept them in the division. I wonder, I mean, there's no budget, right? So what's he going to do in January? They maybe need something to come in, probably a centre-half. Uh, yeah, you want, a, you want a veteran centre-half to come in it'll or be cent- something it'll be, like it'll be a, yeah. it'll be a loan I mean, or a free on transfer. On the, the flip side from this, I think this game against Hamilton really is a, a must-win for them, given the situation mm-hmm. they're in. But, Next three home games, Hamilton, Hibs and Hearts. So there is the chance there, given we've discussed Hearts and Hibs uh, struggles, to get some points in the board. Given they're only three points behind Hearts and Hibs, they could easily be out of the relegation zone come the end of those those three games. So it's not, as I say, it's not like they've got you know six, seven, eight points to, to make up, but they're going to have to start somewhere. And you would imagine a home game against Hamilton... You couldn't really ask for a better one than that. We we should we should give some praise to Hamilton as well because we've said this loads of times. They always keep their heads above water. But um, Brian Rice is quite rightly beaming about the way his team's performances are at the moment. They're not exactly always getting great results, but he says that his players don't get the the credit that they deserve. Sometimes, do you agree? Maybe they're beating the teams they need to beat and getting points where they should be. Like a draw with St Mirren is important. A draw with Hibs is good probably also important looking where Hibs' season is going they are another team who don't have great players he's brought in a lot of youngsters who have been performing really well um, they're what we're going to say about Hamilton they say the same thing every single week they'll find a way to survive <laughs> the one thing uh, I, do, I do agree with you're probably as guilty of this as anyone in terms of when he talks about them not getting the credit they deserve I think because people have maybe tired of them a bit in the way that we, we we still give Livingston a lot of credit for what they did last season and what they're doing this season so far I've been uh, 10 years from now <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah like 4 or 5 what I think is different with Hamilton and why we should give them more credit is because they have such a great record of bringing through good young players good young Scottish players from their own academy mm-hmm. um, and from that point of view it's great that they're getting that experience in the uh, in the premiership you know that, that they're Go to learn and get much better from playing the better teams week in week out rather than say doing it in the championship. I mean, if Hamilton could win here, 
then that gives them like a huge advantage over uh, St Johnston already in terms of you know battling for survival. They're already five points ahead of them. So if they win and go eight, then that's you know pretty substantial even at this stage of the season. Well, finally, Kilmarnock versus St Mirren. Kelly up against the only Premiership side yet to take a point away from home this season. Um, Kilmarnock could be third come the end of the weekend in the Premiership form table over the last six games. Kilmarnock are joint top with Rangers and Celtic. My God. It's almost like when we were talking about them being top of the table in the 2018 calendar. I mean, this is reading way, way too much into <laughs> things, like way too early, right? But just given Scotland's struggles and Kilmarnock doing quite well, did we overrate Steve Clark? Maybe we should get Angelo Alessio as <laughs> a Scotland manager, yeah? No, no, he's a very good manager. <laughs> uh, and, well, clearly the, the basics of what Clark put in place there... defensively. there. I, mean, I, I have to say, yeah. I don't really agree with that. I'm just, you know, I know. throwing theories out there. I hear you. Hot takes. Don't worry, we know. It's just, it's just hard to avoid saying the same thing about Kilmarnock every week. Like the, I, I am I'm surprised. Steve Clark. <laughs> I'm surprised they're doing so well. I thought they'd finish a bit lower. I thought they'd be. Oh, they're not finished yet, have they? But I thought they'd maybe struggle and be around about sixth. But they are doing very, very well, th- and they're starting to come together. They are benefiting from. We've said a few times this season because the teams you'd expect to be challenging for third, which would be yes. Aberdeen, maybe Kilmarnock, based on what they've done the last few seasons, Hearts, Hibs. Even Motherwell, who've started the season well, but then had the poor result last weekend. No one's making a consistent uh, bed for that sort of third place in the table. Exactly. So it's going to be so peaksy throughout the, the course of the season. Yeah, I get to 30 games and Killy could well be right back where we thought we'd be at the start of the season, you know, fifth, sixth. Hearts get their act together. I don't think it's going to happen for Hibs, but um, Aberdeen, I think, will have turned a corner and be round there again. Motherwell should be in amongst it as well. Um, Gary Decker took his goal pretty well last weekend, didn't he? But Rory McKenzie, I should say, uh, scored the winner. And rumours are that he's um, tempted for a, an international call-up with Trinidad and Tobago. But this is great. I think you should, if you can do this, I think you should. I've got a friend, um, uh, uh, Ross Andrew, who plays for, uh, what's it called? Not the, Montserrat the or Br- something the like British that, Virgin it? Islands. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He's got international caps. Like He's a good player. I played with him at Fiverside. He's a really good player. <laughs> play, play is, he, five, is he international class? I don't know. But he's like he's got actual, actual caps. I think that's a great... If you can do that, I mean, do it, man. I think that's amazing. He's, he's, um, he's, played, he's played under 21's level for, for Scotland. Scotland. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, so, I don't so think we're missing out. Like, yeah. <laughs> Our talent's been robbed even by Trinidad and Tobago these days. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. And like just even the sort of life experience of it that you get to, you know, Spawn off to Trinidad and Tobago I mean, every couple of months. It is dubious. One of his grandparents was born in Trinidad or Tobago, which is how he qualifies. Yes. I mean, is anyone going to fact check it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Wonder. I'm going to go with that. I think it's fine. I can imagine Steve Clark's phone call to him. Oh, please don't go, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. We might really need you. A lot of enthusiasm. Uh, let's talk about St. Mirren. Um, big win for them last weekend. Uh, A two goal win. Uh, no, no, not just a two-goal win. Did you see the two goals? Yeah, absolute class. So who got the first? It was John Obika with the first and Danny Mullen, wasn't it? Yeah, Obika, the, 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 fair enough, it was pretty much an open goal from about five yards, but still an overhead kick. So. Man, an overhead kick anywhere on the field, you've won the moral battle of the game. But the second <laughs> and the second goal was like Pep's Barcelona. It was like unbelievable scenes, brilliant passing. Cut Broadfoot with the pass. Exactly. Through, yeah. Look, it, it, it was a good weekend for, for St Mirren. Last time out, Jim Goodwin's side still have the third best defence in the division. They also have scored the fewest goals in the league. Well, I think they need to score more. 
Uh, I, I, I seem to say this every week when uh, Kamarok play. I'm not expecting many goals in this one. <laughs> with Kamarok at home and with particularly good fo- home form of late, you would imagine that they're uh, going to get it. But on far more serious matters, have you heard uh, John Abika's song? Yes. I have. Yes, I have. Like analyze Simon because we know that they don't. It's to do with players. There's nothing wrong with the system whatsoever. It's just the players aren't quite there. And if they try to score more by going forward, they leave themselves more open, which means they're more vulnerable to people playing through them. And the best way for them to get points is to keep things tight and then go from there. Like season on season, recruit, get better. You know, go up one place every year. Except then Goodwin will get fired in like a year, and then someone will come in and they'll drop a place. And it goes on forever and ever. Well, this is the thing, though. That, this is the life of a St Mirren fan. This is why it falls down to, to a good manager who knows what he wants and what he's going to build. Yeah, I think Goodwin's a good manager because he's setting them up well and getting them performing how he wants by getting the effort out of them. I don't... I mean, what, what we're trying to say here, I mean, well, it's going to be 1-0. Let's just, let's just say maybe it will be a good win for them if they do. Oh, uh, that's all like we've it. got. To, thank you very much. That's all we've got time for. Thanks, JJ. Thanks to Kieran. Thanks again to the Little Kicks for our kick-ass theme song. Uh, we'll be back next Friday when we'll be looking back on a full midweek programme and looking ahead to a weekend containing Premiership football and League Cup semi-finals. It's going to be a busy one, lads. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter, and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>